Well, good morning. I am, like she said, Danny, and I'm one of the pastors on staff, and I feel so blessed that I get the opportunity to be before you this morning, more so because I get the opportunity to wrap up our Summer in the Scripture series. Now, I know this has been a long journey that for many of you, God was able to shed new light on some scriptures that you've read many times. For some of you, you got to experience God in a brand new way than you never experienced him before. I hope and I pray that by the end of my sermon, we will together have more confidence in the God, not only that we know, but in the God that we place our faith in. Amen? So, as some of you may have remembered, when I preach, I like to pull from a few scriptures. I pull from a few scriptures that, in my mind, feel like they give the usia or the essence of who God is. And for me, when I was reading our final reading pathway and our reading plan, there was one scripture in particular that kind of spoke to me and kind of gave, in my opinion, the true story or the holistic story of who God is. And that is 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. It's really simple, and it says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. So the title of my sermon is Crazy in Love. Crazy in Love. All right, so the last time I preached, I shared with you all um, some information that kind of took me into a kind of a dark place. It was kind of sad, it was a little hard, and through much prayer and support, I was able to get over it. And so I want to share it with you all, those of who weren't here when I preached the last time, but I was able to, um, after much prayer and support, I shared that I was able to forgive Beyonce for stealing my job. <laughs> yes, because... She had the job that I just knew I was supposed to have. And I was only able to forgive her because God gave me a better job, right? But still, I was able to move forward with my love for her and her music. But after that sermon, I found myself listening to some of her greatest hits, some of the songs that made me fall in love with Beyonce and made me proud to be a part of the Beehive. Um, <laughs> there's one single her first single, that made me fall in love with Beyonce, and it was Crazy in Love. Y'all remember that song? Crazy in Love. I don't know about you, but that song in particular made me fall in love with Beyonce. Don't no matter who you are, when that song came on, it brought out the diva in everybody. Man, woman, child, dog, fish. When that song came on, you couldn't help but to stretch yourself, right? That song, Crazy in Love, and the way she strut her stuff on the video with those red pumps. <laughs> I was like, yes, I love her. But the interesting thing, though, is that although her look was bold and confident, it contradicted with the song lyrics that she was singing. You see, she looked like a boss, boss, 
Okay, hold on, wait. A boss is someone who goes against the norm. They um, don't do what's called for them. I'm giving you pop culture lingo so you can talk to your kids better, okay? <laughs> boss, write that one down. Her, her songs that she sang, or that song in particular, was about a person who was dangerously in love. She sang of someone who, no matter how hard she tried, she could not stop loving him. She would go back and forth even when she didn't want to, especially even when her friend said not to, but she couldn't help it because she was crazy in love. She was obsessed with loving someone who was constantly so unloving. When I think about God's story, I think about how crazy in love he is with us. He is obsessed with loving a people who constantly display unloving characteristics. He loves us so much that Luke 12, 7 says that he knows the number of hairs on your head. He's so crazy in love with you, isn't it, that when one falls out, he changes the count. <laughs> now, for some of us, that may happen more often than others, but <laughs> even still, God loves us so much. He can't help but love you because God is love. Now, other than music, I've once shared that I like watching TV. I don't think I've shared with you all the kind of TV I like to watch. And so I like to watch TV because it helps me unwind, helps my mind come down a little bit. But I specifically like to watch reality TV, <laughs> but not just any old reality TV. I like, um, I'm just going to say it. I like ratchet TV. <laughs> That's what, you know, ratchet, ratchet. Okay, okay, here we go. Ratchet, ratchet. Unpolished. Um, you know, a little bit uncultured, they go against the norm. Let me give you some examples. So I like watching Real Housewives of pretty much anywhere. <laughs> Doesn't matter. I love Real Housewives of wherever. Married to Medicine. I like loving hip hop. Um, Southern Charm, Million Dollar Listing. Okay, so this show is my favorite. <laughs> Keeping up with the Kardashians. <laughs> I know, don't judge me. Do not judge me. I love, I can't help it, I like it. Now let me help those who've never watched any of these shows before, and let me just warn you that these aren't the most inspiring of entertainment. People fight, they drink, they scream, they spend money frivolously, they have these emotional breakdowns. Yeah, I don't know, I just can't help but watch these shows. Mostly because no matter how messed up I am, when I look at those shows, I'm like, you know, I'm okay. <laughs> I'm actually doing okay. It's really, I'm okay. Morally, I'm doing fine. But <laughs> it's definitely a guilty pleasure of mine. But if I think about it, though, this is how God sees us. You know, Paul even said in Romans chapter 7, 24, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Now, I know it's a different spelling, but still, the idea is the same. No matter what, God can't stop watching and loving this ratchet reality TV show that we call our lives. Every channel is a picture of our untamed tongues, our unholy living, 
our unfaithful giving, our selfish and self-righteous views and opinions of ourselves and of others. But instead of turning the channel or just blowing up the TV altogether, God leans in. He's sitting with a smile on his face because God is obsessed with us. He loves us so much because he loves our brokenness. He is obsessed with our brokenness because through our brokenness, we communicate our dependence on him. Through our brokenness, we express our vulnerability. It's through, as David says, our broken and contrite hearts that our need for his care and protection and love is exposed. So then how do we live into that? How do we learn to see the love of God even when we feel so unworthy of being loved? How do we see our brokenness the way God does? Well, we first need to define brokenness the way God does. Revelation 21 and 4 says, He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. I'm one of those people that like taking personality tests. I like taking personality tests because they, if you're honest and you, in your answering, they can tell you how caring you are, how you think, how you lead, et cetera. There's so many tests out there. You can just play with them and see what they all say. But there's one specific test that I took, and it seems to be pretty well known. It's called the Enneagram test. Has anybody ever t- heard of the Enneagram test? Anybody taken that before? Yes, Enneagram test. So for those that don't know, the Enneagram is a way of characterizing human personality types, and they divide into nine different types. It's a typology that is useful for understanding your inner workings and motivations for human behavior. Now, in many of my friend circles, they use the Enneagram, their numbers, to introduce themselves. You know, like how back in the 70s and the 80s, people would come up and say, hi, I'm John, and I'm a Capricorn, <laughs> right? Okay, so now <laughs> people say, hi, I'm Amy, and I'm a six. It's like, okay, that's an interesting way to introduce yourself with your number. But not only do they introduce themselves with their number, they expect you to know your number as well. But you have to be careful, because depending on your number, you get these different reactions. So, so if you say, oh, I'm a seven, people are like, oh, you're the fun one. If you say, oh, I'm a nine, they're like, oh, you're the best Christian ever. But if you say one specific number, <laughs> you get these interesting looks, you get these long sighs. If you say, oh, I'm an eight, people say, oh, oh okay, eight's in the house, woo No, that is not what they do. (laughs) They do not cheer. They go, oh, you're an eight. You have to read up on it to see what an eight is, and you probably really, oh, that's an eight, yeah. So I, (laughs) I have to say that when people take these tests, it does reveal some things about you. So look up the test. If you haven't taken the assessment, 
There's a lot of free ones out there. Take it and see what your number is. I took it myself. So hi, I'm Danny, and I'm a three. And I love long walks in the park. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so I took it. I took it because I was tired of people saying, what's your number, what's your number? And I never knew. So I finally took it, and I found out that I was a three. Now, when I take these personality tests, normally I skip right over all what they say. You're good at this, you're good at this. Oh, yeah, 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 what's wrong with me? So that I can fix it, right? So I took the test, and for the sake of this sermon, and so you don't see my confidence starting to dwindle down, I decided to give a little bit of the, fun, the good stuff, too. So it says that as a three, and for those of you who are threes, you might be able to resonate with that. Yeah, threes in the house, woo -hoo. It says that you are highly productive, that you motivate people for success, that you move very fast. It also says that as a three, you have high expectations for yourself and for others. And when it's not achieved, your identity is broken. A danger for threes is concentrating on external praise or material rewards while losing contact with who they are inside. It's difficult for them to step out of their roles, feel their own feelings, and to, and to decide for themselves what is important. They can tend to overwork, become impatient, and be competitive. I think the funniest part was that in this assessment, the results, they give you like, um, you know, how to relate to threes or fours or sevens. And number one on how to relate to a three was speed up when talking to them. <laughs> <laughs> the hardest part, though, was reading that as a three, you are the original type A's and you need to watch out for early heart attacks or weaken immune systems. That was tough to read. Mostly because it fed into some of my insecurities, some of my places of denial. And if I can be honest, it read what I saw as brokenness. Brokenness can mean a lot of things. It might imply messiness and imperfection. It may mean heartbreak and pain. It may mean physical weakness. For some, it's a reason to demand pity, while for others, it's a motivation to stay true to themselves and their flawed humanity and not attempt to appear put together. But I want to talk specifically about brokenness before the Lord. See, brokenness in God's eyes is defined as to be broken crushed and torn in spirit over sin. Brokenness comes from a place of dependency of God. When we act in ways that are unpleasing to God, he does not want us to pick up ourselves from our bootstraps and try harder. He doesn't want us to feed our pride by making things right. Nor does he simply want us to wallow in our sadness and our sorrow over the consequences and pain our sin brings to us. No, he wants spiritual brokenness, the kind of brokenness he can use. He wants godly sorrow that leads to repentance. It's out of that desperation, out of the grief, and out of the hurt of a fractured heart over sin that God longs to produce in us humility. It's humility that allows us to recognize who God is and who we are really 
in comparison to him. He wants us to define brokenness the way he does. So secondly, after we define brokenness in God's terms, we must see the beauty in our brokenness. First Peter chapter 3, verse 3 through 4 says, Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that your inner self, the unfading beauty of, gentle and, of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's eyes. So I recently went to visit our missionaries in Thailand. And on our way back, we had a 23-hour layover in Tokyo. So while there, we said, well, let's see what Tokyo's all about. So we got to look around and take some walks and see some beautiful buildings, some beautiful architects and artifacts, excuse me. But in a nearby hotel that we stumbled upon, there was a Japanese tea garden. And it was so beautiful. Well, inside a hallway, they had some um, displays. And it was a display of art that was quite different than I had ever seen. It was called kintsugi, which means golden joinery. It's a 500-year-old Japanese art method of restoring a broken piece of glass with lacquer that's mixed with gold, silver, and platinum. And in Japan, instead of tossing pieces of broken glass in the trash, they have a philosophy of wabi-sabi, which means to find beauties in broken things or old things. The kintsugi method conveys a philosophy not of replacement, but of awe, of reverence, and restoration. These Japanese makers see broken objects' potential when they upcycle, repurpose, or reincarnate an object that would otherwise likely have been thrown away. They believe that instead of despising the cracks and throwing them away, they choose to adorn the cracks of an object so that from their cracks, a deeper beauty and appreciation is revealed. The reason why our brokenness is beautiful is because of how God can use it in our lives. It is where our love for him bleeds from. Brokenness can make room for a contrite heart and of repentance to bring us back in the fellowship with the Father. You see, it is not lovely in and of itself. It is not the end of the journey. It is not a cute hashtag that you would put next to a picture of a dirty house. And it's definitely not a word to use when you feel authentic. Standing alone, the word brokenness can be sad and messy. One kintsugi craftsman said that the importance of kintsugi is not the physical appearance. It is the beauty and the importance that stays in the one who's looking at the dish. Scripture says that he is the potter and we are the clay. The beauty and spiritual brokenness is found in the eyes of God. True brokenness is what God uses to bring his wandering sheep back into his loving arms. So to me, if brokenness draws me nearer to God, then I say, break me, God. Break me 
so that I might see my true beauty. So once we know God's definition of brokenness and we recognize the beauty in it, all that's left is him using our brokenness freely. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. So unlike the Japanese, when something is broken, in most cases, we just throw it away. I tend to try to fix it. I fix anything that's broken, or at least I attempt to. My husband hates it. I will super glue, duct tape, squish together, mush together, wrap around, tie together, whatever I can do to make it still work. Anybody do that? Nobody? So I'm alone. Okay, great. Thank you. I'm not up here by myself. Because we're not cheap. We just like to keep things together. Well, let me just admit that by the time while I'm trying to still fix it, my husband's already purchased it and replaced it back to where it was. It's sitting right there. But I will admit, sometimes, though, it's easier to just purchase it, to repurchase it. So let's think about a cup, right? A cup in its wholeness is created to hold liquids that when you're thirsty, it quenches your thirst, right? But if I try to drink from a broken glass, I can cut my mouth, I could possibly swallow glass, I could call internal damage. Or think about an airplane. Let's say you're on a plane ride to Hawaii and you look outside the window and you see one of the wings have been broken or they're broken off. What are you gonna do? I tell you what you better do, you better call on Jesus. <laughs> you better call on Jesus because he is the only one that can save you at that point. Yes, it is true that some things do not work in their broken state. But what about those that can? There are some things that when broken becomes more useful. Name some, shout them out, what do you think? A pinata, you got it, a pinata. So you think about a pinata, a pinata has to be broken, almost beaten before all of the great candy comes out. My daughter had a uh, four-year-old birthday party and she had a pinata there. And I'm just gonna give you a warning. Never take four-year-olds, a pinata, and a long stick. Never put those three things in a building. It's actually pretty terrifying. <laughs> How about something else? Somebody give me something else. An egg, yes. When you crack an egg or you open up a nut, that's where the food is. But without the cracking of the egg, you can't get to it. How about a glow stick? When you break open a glow stick, light is revealed. What about a water balloon on a hot summer day? Kids love water balloons. What about fresh bread? When you think of fresh bread, you break it open, now you have it to share. I think about a good pair of jeans. See, in the beginning, they fit pretty stiffly, but over time, after a few washes and wears, they start to fit and form so good, they almost feel like skin. Doesn't matter that there's a mustard stain in the front that refuses to come out, because it's a reminder of how much fun you had at your college graduation party. 
Yes, there are a few holes in the knees, but they helped you to bend better when you helped your friend unpack the house after his mom passed away. And what about that zipper that is just, uh, it's hard to pull up, but with a little effort, it gets the job done. It's a reminder of how nervous you were and you broke it the day you proposed to your wife. Yes, those jeans have been through the fire and back, but who cares? They fit better over time than they did when they were brand new because they've been broken in. God doesn't just use our brokenness to bring us to repentance. He uses our brokenness to love and serve others better. He uses our brokenness to produce something new that blesses not only us, but those around us. It's through our brokenness that he shows his love and faithfulness time after time. Think back into the beginning of our reading for the summer of script, summer in the series. In Genesis, Adam had to be broken in order for Eve to come to existence. And what about when in Matthew, when Jesus fed the 5,000, he took the bread and after blessing, he broke it. And that broken bread was used to multiply and feed 5,000. And let us not forget that when Christ died on the cross, it was through his body being broken that we were given eternal life. I'm simply saying that it's through our brokenness that we learn to love God and to love the way God does. It's through our conscious awareness of our brokenness that we are able to be patient and kind, to avoid envy, to refrain from boasting, to despise prideful feelings, our brokenness helps us to honor others and avoid self-seeking actions. It keeps us from being easily angered, and it restricts us from keeping records of wrong. It's through our brokenness that we avoid delighting in evil, but rather rejoicing with the truth. Our brokenness helps us to protect, trust, hope, and persevere. Our brokenness shows us how to love because love never fails. If you ever feel like you aren't worthy enough to be used by God, let alone loved by him, just remember that Jesus used a bunch of flawed people to give hope to a flawed and broken world. See, Jesus didn't call the equipped. He equips the called. And you, my friends, have been called. No matter what you've been through in life, remember that the same power that conquered the grave lives in you. You are worthy of life. You are worthy of God's love. You are worthy of joy. And you are worthy of fulfilling the purpose that God has placed in you that's going to take you to places you never even imagined of reaching. And it's not because of your wholeness. It's because of your brokenness. That's the story of God. His crazy love for us and all his children, because God is love. Amen?
Let's give God a hand, clap of praise.